Hey, howdy ho. It's your man with a plan who can't stand the song Stan. It's Patrick Hines, and you're listening to the Hey, Howdy Ho podcast. Today, we have our very first guest with us, Mr. Richard Stokel III. Richard is a recent Loyola graduate, graduating with a degree in finance, and he will be continuing his master's this fall. Richard, why don't you introduce yourself? Patrick said I graduated from Loyola this, this May uh, with a degree in finance, um, and I'm pursuing my master's uh, at Loyola as well, so I will be graduated with that this coming year. I, I do a lot of uh, like options trading. Um, I'm pretty active in the markets, so I'm hoping to answer some questions that Patrick has prepared and that we can talk about. Awesome. Thank you. All right, so we have Mr. Richard Stokel here today to talk to us about the stock market finances, and just about everything under the sun that you need to know about investing your money. So, just to start us off, Richie, can you please give us a brief summary of what the stock market actually is? Because I've always thought of it as just imaginary money, and I've been told that that is incorrect. Yeah, so no, um, there is real money that goes on on the stock market, and not just the $500 monopoly bills. Um, so... <laughs> What happens is, so companies will incorporate uh, when they want to grow. So you'll have like a, a mom and pop shop that, like, let's just think about McDonald's for example. So McDonald's was like a beginning. It started out as one store, and then as it grew, um, they wanted to incorporate. So they raise money by selling parts of their company to people that are interested in buying the company, like parts of the company. Um, and so that's what a stock is in the stock market. Um, so you have the market where like IPOs, you'll hear that term sometimes where people will sell the company to banks and stuff. The stock market is where the public can trade. So you'll have, it's called the secondary market. So you'll have people, retail investors. So people that are individual investors that want to make money for their retirement or whatever. And then you'll have, um, banks also on the secondary market. So the stock market is just a means of exchanging ownerships of companies, so parts of a company from one person to another. That's awesome. And then, can you please break down what an IPO is? Yes. Yeah, so IPO stands for Initial Public Offering. That is basically how a company will start out on the stock market. So they'll initially offer to to the public their you know their um, certain amount of money and certain amount of shares. So they'll, they'll raise in for it, uh, in exchange for the amount of shares, they'll raise uh, money for their business. So, uh, one that's recent is Robinhood. They just IPO'd, I believe. Uh, today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. Yeah. So they, they, they <laughs> IPO'd today for, I believe it was $38 a share. Now I don't know what it's trading at right now, but usually IPOs will change in price from what they start out as. So you'll be able to track them and see like, oh, is this, good investment or not but a, a lot of people like ipos because they can have a high return like facebook had a pretty high return even though it dropped kind of significantly after its initial ipo but um for me i try to stay away from them until there's more history of the company and you can uh, trust the information more so like Robinhood just came out today so if you don't know much about the company it's kind of risky risky investment okay that makes a lot of sense now, there's a lot of fancy terms that get thrown around about the stock market. I was wondering if we could break down a few of those. Are you okay, okay with that? Yeah, that's perfect. All right. So, what's the NASDAQ? Okay. <laughs> so, that, that's, uh, uh, that's a question that uh, I think it was Nick and New Girl asks. He's like, I want to know what NASDAQ is. <laughs> so, that's a common question. Um, basically, the NASDAQ is a company that was started in 1971. Um, it... They own three exchanges in the United States, and what they do is they are basically a hub for technology companies. So the NASDAQ uh, 100 is the top 100. So when you see the NASDAQ, like the index, like trading, like on the news or whatever, it says NASDAQ, you're seeing mostly like 90% of that is the top 100 companies that aren't finance related. So like um, Apple, um, have you heard the acronym FANG before? No, um, I have not. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, ne- uh, Netflix, and Google. So that's like the, the big five. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's where you'll find, NASDAQ is where you'll find those companies. And 
there's a lot of hype around them. Whether you believe it or not, it exists. So it's good to know what the NASDAQ is if you're going to start trading, for sure. It's awesome. And then, could you please explain what the Dow Jones is? Yes, so the Dow Jones is the top, I wouldn't say top, but it's it's selected, and I'm actually completely sure how it's selected, but it's the 30, uh, 30 companies that are, um, so it switches out every once in a while, they'll choose like, uh, I know Honeywell, because I, I bought some shares of Honeywell last summer and they were added to the Dow, um, but they basically see what's kind of relevant of the economy, and they add up to 30, and then when they want to uh, put one else on Another one on there, they have to take one off. Um, so it's, you, the Dow's pretty high number right now. It's like 35,000 or so. Um, and this is kind of a side and a side, but I think that the S&P 500, which is a different index, is more accurate. Since the Dow is only 30 companies, the S&P is 500 companies. You get a more accurate picture. So if you're starting to invest and you want a broader um, idea of what the market's doing, I would suggest looking at the S&P 500 rather than the Dow Jones. But the Dow Jones is uh, still, I guess, important to see. Uh, like, the news media will use it a lot um, to see, like, the index of, you know, how, how people think the economy is doing or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so the Dow Jones doesn't really affect the everyday man like you and me, for the most but part. It like, actually, like, it's, like, it's like a reflection of how the economy is doing overall, but it's not like... So a stock that you or I is going to own, probably. No, no, no. So it's an index. Both the Nasdaq, S and P, and then also the Dow Jones are indexes. So you can't technically you can't buy them, but they're just like a meter, like a, a thermometer of like, oh, this is how, what the economy or the stock market it looks like right now. Oh, okay. So, so it's yeah. just a gauge to like see how we're doing. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. All right, and then um, so you mentioned the S and P five hundred during that. Yeah. You want to quickly break down what that is as well? Yeah. So. As the S and P five hundred. Um, if you you can actually buy it easier than the Dow Jones and Nasdaq, at least. I know the the Nasdaq. If you want to buy it as uh, ticker symbol QQQ. Um, if you want to do the Dow Jones, I'm actually not sure because I don't I haven't traded the Dow before. But um, if you want to do S and P five hundred, you have two options. You can do SPX, which is the actual amount that the S and P is. Uh, so if it's like four thousand two hundred, you'd have to buy it. A share for four thousand two hundred dollars. An easier way to access the S and P is SPY or Spider. That's more common, and uh, it's a tenth of what the actual S and P is. So it'll be four hundred if the index is four thousand. So it's still kind of expensive, but it's more accessible. Um, and the S and P, like I said, is the top five hundred companies, um, and so you can look at each of them and see, you know, what they contribute to the index and and determine what's a good investment. I usually use the S&P as a starting place for finding the companies to invest in because they're pretty reliable companies for the most part. Now, can you talk a little bit about what a portfolio is and why it's important to have a diverse portfolio? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> so a portfolio, um, I know for a lot of people who might not be finance, means a lot of different things. So for like marketing people, it's like their, um, their history of like, stuff but a portfolio of stocks is, is similar in that it's a gathering of <clears throat> different securities so security being a stock that uh, contribute to the overall gain or loss of uh, an individual uh, an individual's like profit or loss basically so a portfolio will be different stocks together that's that's a simple uh, explanation the reason you want it to be diversified though so imagine you have um, all your eggs in one basket. That's not a very good, <laughs> that's not a very good uh, situation. You want to put um, a little bit of money into I don't know like industrials, a little bit of money into technology, a little bit more in uh, you know stuff that's maybe international. So you the the whole art and science of being like a financial advisor, or portfolio manager, is what they're called, is is weighing them differently. So determining where to put the money is, is the whole, like, you know, where everyone argues about instead of just, like, yeah, there's no accepted, one accepted way to make a portfolio. Everyone just says be diversified, and that means a lot of things to different people, but generally what they mean is that you should have your money in different things, and it's different things. So not just like all 
stocks here and all stocks here. You should probably be doing so, bonds, so like, stocks, you know, everything. Yeah, so yeah. like, just for an example, I shouldn't like invest all of my money into not just one stock of cannabis, but like, I shouldn't also only invest in only cannabis stocks. Right, yeah. Like, it's not just enough to have multiple different companies. It has to be multiple different companies from multiple different sectors. Yes, and you should probably do... That's like, I like how you bring that up, because you could, you could do, like, cannabis companies in Canada, and you could, you'd be relatively diversified, but in order to be um, diversified to the point where you make a, a decent return, is you'd want to be diversified across, like, all different types of differences. And the way we measure that is actually called correlation. I can get into that if you want, or if it's a little too complicated, that's fine too, but um, you basically determine there's a number between negative one and zero and then positive one. If your correlation is you want it to be negative, preferably, because that means it's moving in the opposite direction of what you have. So if you have two stocks, stock A and stock B. Okay, so you want it to be moving in a negative direction because that means that you're getting a positive return. So right? yes, yeah. So, so if one stock goes up and the other, yeah. If one stock goes up and then means the other goes down, so you're balanced. You okay. want it to be balanced so that over time you capture like the growth of the general direction of the stock market, which is up. So um, every every portfolio tries, especially with the term hedging. So you hear about hedge funds and you know the hedges that you haven't trimmed yet or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> so the hedge funds are just like things that are ent- entities that trade uh, both. They they long or they buy stock and then they also sell stock short, which is another thing we can talk about. But it's it's a way to make money off of stocks going down. So yeah, I mean, there there's a lot uh to know about finance in in terms of like portfolio management but i think the first the best thing to do is probably to just if you have a, a subscription to the wall street journal like if you through your school or anything like that that's a good idea um if you you can just read like yahoo finance articles if you don't want to subscribe and then also just wikipedia is a great resource honestly even though like, a lot of people hate on it i think it has a lot of good definitions and stuff for that's that was a long answer to say that you should buy different <laughs> different things in different areas of the economy. But yeah, that's uh, all that. <laughs> Radical. All right. So next up in our list of interview questions, in case our listeners can't tell, I'm not very knowledgeable about the stock market. Richie knows. All right. So next up, could you walk us through like? What buying and selling stocks, like how like the process works, what it really means? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you own a stock already, uh, let's say you own... Uh, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon is about $3,000 a share. Um, you want to sell it, but in order to sell something, you need to buy it. Right? So you have the exchange, um, stock exchange. And you have different methods of accessing that. So you have brokers, like a lot of people use Robinhood, which just, like I said, IPO today, so it's even more in the public eye. But you can use brokers like Fidelity, uh, Charles Schwab, Ally. All of these are ways of accessing the exchange. And so what you can do is if you, I'll start from the buyer side, just because that's easier to understand, kind of. So you have money and you want to, like, buy something with it, you would go to, like, uh, a shop and put your money on the counter and then you in return you receive the item that you're purchasing. So you're going to buy whatever you receive it for a certain price. The stock market isn't doesn't work like that because uh, there is no fixed price besides the IPO. Once it uh, starts trading and it goes on the graph, um, it, it changes every single trade and that's how like public relations can tie into it because like if a corporate CEO does something really dumb, it'll make the company stock plummet. Yes, absolutely. Because like Elon Musk wanna, and Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to. Yeah. So Elon Musk tweets like, um, I don't know where. Like he said, uh, we're going private at this price, and that was kind of like controversial. So things like that will happen, and then you have the, the stock price will move constantly um, because. People are willing to buy and sell at different prices. So you have 
uh, two things. So the way how, you're wondering probably how like the people that sell and buy the stocks make money, right? Besides mm-hmm. like profit. So there's something called the spread. So if you've ever been to like an auction, I don't know, not a lot of people go to auctions, but it's like you have what people are willing to offer and then what people are willing to buy and you have to like meet in the middle somewhere. Okay. So it's called the, the bid and ask. So you have to. It's like buying a home almost. Yeah. Actually, like yes. if someone is selling a home, they like, I want to sell my house for $350,000. Yeah. And then a buyer comes in and there's like, this home is not worth $350,000. I will give you $300,000. And then there's a broker in the middle that helps us get to that 325. Yeah, exactly. So is that how the stock market works, yeah, basically? Yeah, it's just much. that broker? Yeah, so the broker um, determines, like, what price it should it actually go for. So you, you try to match bid and asks. And, you know, it's it's a whole, that's a whole different career on its own. It's like, like market making. But, um, yeah, no, that's how you basically buy and sell. You If you want to buy a stock, you go on your brokerage account, you would say buy, there's different types of orders, but for the cynic and simplicity, you'll just say you buy um, Apple at this price, and then when it goes to that price, you get in, you get your shares, and then you ride the wave. Hopefully, if you uh, want to get out, then you say sell Apple, and you get your cash back. Don't, don't think you can sell a stock and then immediately take money out. Sometimes you can, and broker will you do that, but it's Generally, I'll wait until it settles before you can take the money out. That's something that I actually didn't learn that the hard way, but I almost did. So <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that, that actually is a very helpful piece of information. Alright, so now let's talk about this, because I know that you helped your girlfriend and our mutual friend, Maddie, out with this. Um, how much money does it take to like get started in investing? <clears throat> yes, so... Um, I always, like, to this question, I would say, uh, if there's a camera, there's literally just a penny sitting on this, uh, <laughs> this uh, coaster, but as much as you can, not a, not as much as you can afford, but I would say a reasonable, probably like 5 or 10% of your savings, something like that, where it's, it's a decent amount, but it's not enough that you want to risk it. So the way it works is uh, you want to earn compounding interest on your investments. Like, over time, you want to earn interest on your interest and, like, grow that curve. And I, w- I wish I could draw it, but it's basically, like, if you've ever seen, like, bacteria growing in a petri dish, you see the graph of that. It, like, goes up, and then it goes up more, and then up more and more. Yeah, exponentially. Yes. Yeah, that's the word. An exponential function. Yes. So that's what you want. Um, the higher you can start your initial account, the greater, the faster you'll get to that curve, like the, the really nice, like, upsloping curve. Um, okay, but hold yeah, on, because you, you are talking about it like it is a guarantee. Oh, like if, you, yeah. if you just put in 10% of your savings right now, you're going to get an exponential increase in your money. Yes, I'm sorry, that is kind of misleading. <laughs> so, um, you have to uh, consider that the average return of the S&P, and this is one that most people use, is about 7%. So it takes, um, I don't know if this, but it takes a decent amount of time for your money to double. But um, it's not necessarily guaranteed that it will return seven percent. Like two thousand eight, that's if you return negative forty three percent or something <laughs> like that. So if you decided to retire in two thousand eight, which I'm sure a lot of people did, that was not the best thing to happen. Um, but what I what I would say is put as much, not as much as you can afford. Like I'm saying, I was trying to say, but. Put as a decent amount in. So I think I started in 2016 when I was in high school. I think it was $500. So that that's always, you know, something just like maybe you've been saving for a bit or you have um, some money that's extra from your job. Um, and you just put it aside and you say, this will be my my nest egg. And you just start thinking. Yeah, and you, you can keep adding to it. You can just use the profit or take the loss or, you know, um, from that. But that's a good amount, I would say. Probably, it, I don't want to say a number because I don't want people to think like, oh, you have to have this amount of money to start. But I would say um, just anything that's significant. You could, you could start with a penny stock if you really wanted to work your way out. It would just take longer to reach your uh, retirement goal or, Say you're buying a house or whatever. So yeah, 
So I don't want to give a number. I would just say whatever you feel comfortable starting out with is probably the best answer to that because um, you don't want to potentially lose money on money that you really can't afford to lose. Um, don't think of it as gambling per se, but um, probably talk to someone you trust, like with financial advice, and talk to them and see what they have to say about mutual funds and, and things like that for you. For sure. And then, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, app that you have Maddie using? That way you helped her like start investing? Acorns. So, I would recommend using Acorns. Um, for like beginner, beginners. Beginner, yeah. Like, if you just want to put it aside and not touch it um, at all, you just use Acorns. Um, what they do is they use the they they round up yes, yes. the dollar they round up the dollar amount from your most recent purchase and they take like if you bought something for a dollar seventy one cents they take the twenty nine cents that would round that up to two dollars and they put that into your investment account and so Richie you were having Maddie use this and she's had actually a pretty good success rate with this so far right? yeah yeah so Acorns is almost like I said no guarantee to anything but um, Acorns works really well because it tracks you can choose your portfolio from most aggressive to most conservative meaning like how fast not how fast you want to make money but how um much risk do you want to expose yourself to so you have like bonds for the conservative one and then you have like mostly like all stocks for the most aggressive one and um i i don't use acorns anymore i would probably want to have to say that because uh, I didn't have a problem with that. I just uh, transferred to it using a different strategy because, like uh, Patrick said, it's it's for like beginner beginners, which is fine, and it's 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 good if you don't have time to like watch them for a while. I didn't either, so I just let it there, and it just grows over time. Like even if the market is flat or going down, the roundups will keep your your balance going up. So as long as you use your card or whatever, so. Uh, yeah, I showed Maddie that, and I also uh, showed Maddie how to use a Fidelity account, which is a little more complicated, but it's a self-guided like trading account, so you can make all your trades on there. Acorns does it for you; it does like index funds and stuff. Um, but this is a Fidelity account. Here's the stock market for the Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back. All right, we are back with more questions for Mr. Richard Stoffel. So, just diving right back in. How do politics affect the stock market? Because I know that right leading up to the election, a lot of my friends who are Republican were using the defense of the stock market is going to plummet when Joe Biden goes into office. <laughs> because there there is that historic argument that the stock market does not perform well under Democrats, even though it is inaccurate. Anyway, so just wondering, how does politics actually affect the stock market? Like, what does that mean? Where's the basis of that argument okay. coming from? So a lot of people like to obviously associate money with their political party or the opposite political party because that's just how people are. But um, I actually did research on this with um, some fellow students at uh, Loyola and we did not find a direct correlation between either party and the performance of the stock market. So that was based off of, to be fair, the, the sample size was relatively small. It was started in 2000 to 2016. So that wasn't, it wasn't like all of history. The reason we did that was because we wanted to find out how like modern stock market was affected by it. Since inter- like information is so fast now, uh, back in the day, like, long time ago, we're talking like early 1900s, didn't take more time for the stock market to change. So, yeah. um, we did that, and yeah, you were going to say Wouldn't that be a little bit too small of a sample size, though? Because I, I understand what you're saying about modern technology and how we communicate much faster now. However, that's only two presidents? Three presidents? Yeah, so It's George Bush, Obama, and a little bit of Trump? Yeah, so um, what we did too is we didn't just look solely at like the election day. We looked at um, major like political events. So like, uh, I can't remember exactly like the top of my head, but I, I know we did um, like Super Tuesday, stuff like that. Um, big debate days to see like who, determine like who won 
the election, or not the election, <laughs> who won the debate, like, based off polling, and then what happened to suck. So it's like, Democrat won, like, the Republican won. And, oh, okay, yeah. so it was like a performance review almost, seeing yeah. if their performance affected the economy. Yeah, so like if, and not not like of the current president, but it was, it was like election years. Yeah, so, so it yeah. was like the turning of the tide, yeah. Yeah, so like if it was an incumbent, did it affect it? And so our, our research was pretty inconclusive, which is like, makes sense because the stock market is economy. But um, I did read, um, and I, I should cite this, but I, I don't know, I don't remember the, the source, but it was like, for Republicans, the stock market is more volatile than for Democrats. And that was only for the So, like, the stock market generally goes up under both Democrats and Republicans, but um, it's more volatile under Republicans because there's more, like, there's less taxes, which means people are, like, going up and down. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, so uh, that's something to consider when you have, like, uh, maybe a Republican entering office, um, like, the, like the White House. Or you have a change in Congress or um, Senate, but um, at least for your to answer your broader question, how do politics affect the stock market? They policy itself is very is very uh, important for the economy, and then that trickles down then to the stock market. So because the stock market is a reflection of what people perceive future earnings of companies to be, if for some reason taxes go up, interest rates go down or are up anything happens it, it's like it's like an experiment almost where you have all these variables and they want one change will send this that's a funny way to explain it yeah. all right so moving on to the next question reno is there a right time to start investing? Like, would you say that there's an age that you should start at? Should you start younger? Are you fine if you're in your 40s and you're just starting now? So, the answer to all of those. So, actually, the first one I want to answer is, are you fine if you're 40? The answer is yes. Um, because the answer to the question is the proverb of the best time to start planting a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So as soon as you can put money into the market, the better, um, because of like I said that compounding interest rate. So you want to be on that curve. Um, like it's not never like I said it's never guaranteed, but over time historically there has been a seven percent return. If every year you can capture that, the better off you'll be in terms of like your financial situation for retirement or for a house or something. So um, I always like a lot of people. Like our age, like in college or just recently graduating, um, should consider like opening that acorns or if they just got a job at a, like a new company, like opening that 401k and, and putting in, like I said, like as much as they can reasonably put in because, uh, the money is worth a decent amount now, but it will be worth even more in the future. So you want to treat, like treat yourself well like your future self and just as much as you can without hurting your current finances or gaining them, um, put that aside so that you can be not, I mean, you'll be successful whether or not you have, but um, make sure that you have that cushion for retirement. I was actually on the phone with my, because uh, I have a financial advisor uh, through my credit union now, but he was telling me about this uh, mutual fund and he said that Present value of the dollars that I put in now would be, even though the mutual fund's very conservative, would be like significantly higher by the time I was like 62, which is 40 years of working for me. So that made me put into perspective, like, oh yeah, no, I should probably be like not, you know, spending as much as I am and, and putting it aside. And, you know, so it, it's always good to remember that you, you should take care of your future self in, in many different ways, but also financially. I was, the answer is yes as early as you can preferably if you have children too like setting up accounts for them because they can't obviously invest on their own until they're 18 um, so being a custodian to them is, is really important um, and then if you're like 40 and you just haven't gotten to investing that's also fine because 20 years of compounding is better than nothing so that's yeah. for sure that makes a lot of sense it's, it's better to start early and start saving now mm. All right, so 
Here's another question, just because I've never understood this side of it. This is why I always refer to it when you and I talk about it as imaginary money. Yeah. <laughs> when do you actually take your money out of the stock market? Oh. So, I'll give my opinion. There's several, there's different theories on this. People say, like, you should take out um, after 50% profit. So, not, not, so, okay, that's actually often, so we'll scratch that. <laughs> um, you should take your money out after, you know, double it. Some people will say you should take it out after 10%. Uh, some people say, um, so what I say is I will, when I make a, an investment decision, whether that's buying a stock or, you know, anything else on the market, I will have an exit strategy before I uh, initiate it. So if I am going to buy Apple, what I'll do is I'll say, and I have uh, actually haven't done this, but this is hypothetical. I will say right now I bet Apple. I can just look this up. I think Apple is at one fifty almost. Yeah, one forty five. So let's say I want to buy one share of Apple. What do I want? Like, what do I want before buying the share? What do I want to see from that share? Like, how do I want to see? Like, how high does it need to go before I sell? So set goals for what you want your stocks to perform at. Yes. And then once they hit those goals, that's when you would sell the yes. stock. And also don't don't be overconfident and only set <laughs> positive goals. You also have to say when Apple if Apple drops, when am I getting out? And and because otherwise what'll happen is and this has happened to me, you'll hold on to it and you're called a bag holder because you have these stocks that have dropped either significantly or you know, a lot, and your money's tied up in them because... Yeah, and you're left holding <laughs> the bag. you're left holding the bag, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it's better to get out on the way down or the way up than it is to be caught at the top or the bottom. Like, it's better to be on the trend. So, um, yeah, no, the answer to that question is just, like, make sure you know ahead of time your strategy. Be very, like, do due diligence and then then you can trade. Don't just trade and be like, okay, when am I picking it up? Like, no, it should be like, okay, this by this time, or this percentage, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. I am definitely currently a bag holder on all of my stocks. I I watched all of my stocks boom for like a week, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm on the up and ups. I'm on the up and ups. <laughs> oh, boy. When I woke up that that next day, and I was like a hundred dollars down from what I started with. I was like, "Oh, this is <laughs> this is very depressing." But yeah, no. So I I understand that experience at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and just final question for the interview portion. I was wondering if you have any advice for anyone who's just who's looking to get started. Yes. So this is kind of this is a little similar to like how early should you start, and my advice would be similar to, um, like I said. As soon as you can get into it, like the better. Uh, I think I got into it pretty early. I was just to turn eighteen uh, because then I could open my own like account. And, like, that's actually when I did everything financially. Is I got a credit card, I opened my brokerage, and like did all like you know, I got a scratch off. I don't know if that's a financial decision, <laughs> but that was definitely. Uh, anyways, so um, you know, I say. Any, any advice for someone who's starting out, like, get a brokerage account. Um, they're pretty easy to set up. They usually take five to ten minutes to set up. And I, it doesn't really matter where, just somewhere that you can trust, like a bank that you know, or um, an app that's easy to use that doesn't have a, a weird history or any like, weird stuff. Like, I don't know. I This might be controversial, but Robinhood has that whole experience with GameStop in January. Um, so I don't... I don't use them, not because of that, but also because I don't know what else is going on. So I just, I use, uh, my, the apps that I use are Ally and Fidelity to trade. I've been using Fidelity for about five years and Ally for about three years now. Um, but my advice is do your research on the stocks before you buy them. Like, that's the most important thing because even if it goes down, you can then, like, trust the company and hold on to it for the long haul. That's the most important because if you want to be an investor, you need to know what you own. If you're doing trading, that's a whole different thing. That would be a whole different interview because that's short-term, like, 
I want this because the graph looks funny instead of I want this company because they are helping change the world or, you know. So I do a mix of both. Like I have an investment account and I have a, a trading account. But um, just get started, like dip your feet into it, um, your toes, I guess. And basically you're going to learn a few like money losing lessons probably, like, but that's okay. Um, I do like starting in high school, like I did well initially and then tanked, but now I'm back overall positive as of like the last year. So you think like, well, that's a long time, but in the long haul of your life, you know, you want to be up, you know, have a goal on a certain percentage. So, um, as early as you can and do it, like if you, if you become really passionate about it, then just do it as much as you want. You should find success in a, in a strategy that works for you, um, either trading or investing. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Richie. We'll be right back with our just conversational portion of the show. Thank you. And we're back with Mr. Richard Stokel. And we're going to be talking about... Oh, wait. Actually, hold on. First off, I've been getting that wrong. It is Mr. Richard Stokel. The third. I actually was thinking that, yeah, but you I have been saying Mr. Richard Stokel this whole time. <laughs> I know it's Mr. Richard Stokel the third. Yeah, well, so uh, I guess it's not a funny story, but yeah, no, my, my grandfather was senior, and my dad was the junior, but when my parents were, like, deciding on a name, apparently my mom and dad got into an argument, and uh, my dad was like, you know, we'll just <laughs> the third, and that's what happened, so here we are. But, yeah. That's hysterical. So, does that mean that if you and you, whoever the future missus may be would, would be naming him the fourth? No. <laughs> I think it ends with me. I think every great uh, thing is a trilogy and then that's it. You know? So, but that's fine. You know? but, but what about spinoff things, you know? I, I, yeah, well, I mean, then we, <laughs> I don't know how that would work for naming conventions. Maybe like well, no what if I name my kid Richard Stokel the fourth? Ah. Richard Stokel Heinz the fourth. <laughs> that would be interesting. I don't, that would be like, uh, yeah, no, you just, that that would be a spinoff yeah, film. Exactly. So your child, yeah, well, they, so they mean, uh, you know, I don't know, Marvis, but you know, the SpongeBob TV series has two spinoffs now, and that's against Stephen Holmberg's wishes. He said it should just be one series. But there's one on Paramount Plus called Camp Coral, and then there's one called uh, Pat, Patrick Stutter. So I haven't seen it, yeah. but it doesn't sound like it would be that. The good. animation is ugly, and that's something that really bothers me in kids' TV shows, because a lot of kids' TV shows nowadays aren't as thoughtful as they once were. So if it's not going to be thought-provoking, and the animation's ugly... What's the point of it? You know, it's not even entertaining at that point right. for yeah, we were, all ages how cartoons well, are meant to be. We were just talking about the stock market. <laughs> That's your answer right there. Viacom <laughs> CBS stock needs to go up, so you know, do whatever we can. Um, yeah, but yeah, no artists shouldn't get to have unique art styles. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> That's for like the great one. Picasso. You know, like, <laughs> all right. So next up, let's just let's dive a little bit into the politics. So, Richie, I'm I'm just wondering, just off the dome, how you think good old President J. Biden's doing? Um. Well, to be completely honest, I think that um, anytime we hear about the president, it's usually like President President I honestly think that. So far, his what he's actually been doing is like fine. I think the way he like talks about it is a little problematic. Like he was saying things about I don't know, and I I come from a interesting like background where like my parents, or at least my dad, is super conservative. But I was like in school, like our our school is very like uh, liberal. liberal and democratic and. So I was exposed to both sides, and I've kind of, I wouldn't say I've taken a position in the middle, because I haven't. I've actually become um, more libertarian than anything else. I think that um, we should be more, obviously, like, since I'm in finance, we should become more financially responsible, but socially, we have an obligation to our citizens as well. So that's a whole different, but 
Joe Biden is doing things that, you know, I mean, the Democrats have the House and Senate, so it, there should be, I think there should be doing more going on if the Democrats want to be more successful. I don't think they're doing enough that the people want them to be doing, but I think what they're doing now in terms of, like, you know, bring, up, bring up an issue at all, like, in terms of Joe Biden. Because oh. I, not an issue, but like a, something that he's done recently and that I can probably comment on. Because I'm, I'm, that's kind of a, a little broad for me. No, um, no, that, that's what I wanted though. I just yeah. wanted the broad answer. I wasn't yeah, going to yeah. dive too deep into it because I didn't want, I didn't want to get into policy. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was just wondering, <laughs> just like in general, how do you yeah, think Jay Biden is doing? He's, he's not as controversial as Trump, that's for sure. But uh, I mean, on the right, I, I've seen a lot of, cause when I go home and visit my parents, like go through Fox News on me, I'll, I'll see like Tucker Carlson and I'll be talking about like Biden's position. But it's just like when Trump was president, you know, MSNBC would be saying like, oh, Trump did this. But, I just think that the the public, most of the public is either moderate to left. A lot of people don't like to admit that they're conservative, which I think is kind of problematic because you don't have that full discourse like out on the public stage. Like it's seen as like, oh, if you're conservative, you're like not ahead of the time. I mean, I, you could argue that, but at the same time, I think we need both sides in order to progress further. Um, no, for sure. Yeah. That, there's also the side of that where... It feels like a lot of people are tying being conservative to holding religion. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like that tie is a little bit dangerous because they are implying, well, multiple things are being implied on that level. Yeah. Because it's being implied, first off, that if you're religious, you're either backwards or stupid. Right. And then, two, if you're conservative, the exact same thing. But it's stressful for me because it's like become almost a battle cry because I, I'm Catholic and I'm a Democrat but it's become like a battle cry for the other party to use religion as a shield and we have a separation of church and state for a reason oh, absolutely, yeah. but it's just one of those things where like as we continue to polarize we're not getting that full discourse because people don't want to say I'm a conservative because they don't want any of these other labels that come with that being yeah. applied to them because no matter how accepting we say we are, boy, oh boy, do we judge people hard. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> America is one of the most judgmental countries. Um, well, I mean, I haven't lived anywhere, so I guess I can't really say that. But, I mean, in terms of our politics, we're very, like, easy to, like, take sides. I feel like, like, other countries have, like, four or five political parties. We just have the two main ones. And so it's, like, either you're on Team A or you're Team Red or Team Blue. And if you're not on Team Red or Team Blue, you're weird or like your vote doesn't matter and like I don't know I just think that we have a problem where it's like a lot of like the, I think what it comes down to is that um people and I was having this discussion I think with, with my grandma we had like an event recently like a barbecue and I was like I think people will say things and then they like don't have sources for those things I think misinformation is a little like most dangerous thing we have in our society right now for both sides because the the Trump people talk about like fake news. I think it's it's a problem, but it's a problem on both sides. It's not just the left; it's also the right. So I just think we need to be more uh, we need to do more research on our own. I think to be like citizens of a country or the world, you need to be informed. And a lot of people don't do that because they just turn on the news and they're like, "Oh, this person is telling me all I need to know." And in reality, it's you need to like see what they say and then compare it or whatever it's just but a lot of people don't want to do that work they just think like oh i hear this name i'll go vote for this person or people will vote for people because they're in the same party yeah, yeah this this actually kind of ties back into what i do because i do public relations and it's about how people consume media nowadays actually because people aren't willing to do the research because they don't have to sit down and read an entire newspaper anymore you can hear the news for 30 seconds in your car. The news on the TV has the weather and the traffic every four minutes. Like, traffic on the fours or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, no, but they yeah, do that things is, like that. Like, real, it's, yeah. people are so used to getting their news condensed now that it's one of those things where they don't feel like they should have to do the research. Because if you hear the same opinion over and over again in a very condensed way, you're going to remember it. Yeah. There, there's an old adage, I think. It's like, you have to say something 
like, or hear something seven times to remember it. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's something like that, where like the repetition of it, because it's the same sound bites being used over and over again, just just a little bit paraphrased. Along. Yeah, and so, it's on both yeah. sides. I'm not just saying like one side or the other, because that's that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about politics in a very neutral way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're more about just like what affects the everyday person. No, I, I try to always, whenever I get into discussions about politics, whatever, I try to tie it back into, like, what's the purpose, right? So, like, what, why do we care that America has two political parties? Well, first of all, that's what George Washington said we shouldn't do, yet we went against his wishes, which you can either agree with or disagree with, but I think that's something that we said about that. Um, I think that having... Hamilton split, taught me that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you have an issue now where, like I said, you have two teams, and so people like it. I almost think that they're gonna like probably gonna split into like four though, because I think you have people on the Democrats that are like more moderate, like Joe Biden, who's like more moderate Democrat. Um, people on the right will tell you otherwise, but his policies and like fiscal like decisions have almost mimicked. Yeah, no, like we can we can sense like the fractures coming in the parties because there's the. There's the Democrats, who I will say Joe Biden represents the moderates, mm-hmm. and then there's the progressives, mm-hmm. and just for a placeholder, we'll use Bernie Sanders, because, yes. yeah, just great example of, like, the progressives who, people will say socialism, I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate, because I haven't done enough research on the topic, yeah. but, and then besides that, there's the radical right, mm-hmm. which is, like, what's his name, uh, like Trump, yeah, essentially, Trump yeah. yeah, and then there's the conservative middle, which is like, it used to be Chris Christie. I don't know if he's still there anymore. But, um, John Boehner? Boehner? Boehner. Yeah, Speaker Boehner. Yeah. So I would think that, uh, like, you have most, the, the Republicans that were, like, not for the July 6th thing, which is weird to say, are probably in the Senate. And I think that's something that, you know, we need two central parties and then two, like, extreme parties. July 4th? Sixth, January sixth. January, January. Yes, that's all right. I, I get those mixed up. July, like no. July sixth. Uh, I was like, who? What? <laughs> what conservatives are against the Fourth of July? Yeah, no. Tell me more on this topic, <laughs> sir. Be a hot story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, no, I think that we have these parties, and they they. The problem is that we have so many. Like in the early days of the country, you have you know like, the Electoral College and, like, representatives and stuff. We have so many people in this country, which is not, like, a bad or good thing. It's just how it is that we have fewer, like, we have the same amount of representatives, but we have more people, so, like, everyone's voice is, like, less important in terms of, like, the the ratio of voters to representatives. Yeah, and on the national scale, too. Like, I, something that I find really frustrating in the national election for president Mm-hmm. is the Electoral College. I am not of the mindset that we should abolish it. I think it was put in place for a reason. However, I do think that we should be able to split up states proportionally for how many electoral votes they got. Yeah, like because... Right. Yeah, because yeah. like if I live in Missouri, Missouri is typically a red state, but I live in St. Louis, which is a blue hot spot. Just yeah. for this example. So... My vote in St. Louis doesn't mean anything because the rest of Missouri is all going to vote red. Mm-hmm. And yeah. therefore, and there's not, and while there is a lot of people in St. Louis and a disproportionate amount to the rest of the state, there's still more people in the rest of the state than there are in St. Louis. Okay. And there's still red in St. Louis. Right. So when I vote in the election and Missouri has like eight electoral votes or something, eight or 11 or something like that. I think that it should be split up proportionally to how the population voted. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's 11 votes and there's 1.5 million people who voted blue and 1 million people who voted red. Then it's like the six votes go over to these people and the five votes go over here. Yeah. Cause it's, it's one of those things where if you live in a deeply red or a deeply blue state, mm-hmm. your vote really doesn't count. Yeah. No, on the national exactly. scale, you're just voting to vote. Because it's your civic duty, but at the end of the day, your voice doesn't say anything right. in that election. I think, I think too. I get what you're saying about like the electoral college and everything. I think it's 
really imperative, like, because the way we would fix that, or, like, not even fix, but change, that's an important difference, um, is we'd have to amend the Constitution, right? I think the Electoral College is, like, deeply rooted in one, yeah. some of the, one article, but... Well, um, we, we have, we've amended the Constitution plenty oh, absolutely, of past. 27 times. Yeah. I'm just saying that if we do that, it should be, we need to make sure we, what we know we're doing, we don't have to say, we don't like this system, let's just go to the popular vote, because I think the popular vote has issues too. Mm. I think what we need to do is, if we were to change it, it would be ranked choice. Now, obviously, I'm biased, and I'm trying to for a third party, so, like, that would give third parties more opportunity to, like, win, like, local and state but, positions. But that's good, though, because that's the introduction of new ideas, which is what we need, in my opinion. I'm sure, yeah. But as a Democrat who believes that you have to work your way up through government. I also, on the flip side, really don't like career politicians. I, no. I don't like people who then get into office and then sit there, and then you oh, go yeah. and they check their records, <clears throat> and, oh, they haven't voted very often, and they're not there, and they're right. just using their money. No, actually, so, like, I think the whole thing with career politicians is that it's fine if they do, like, a decent job and they're, like, helping people. The issue is that a lot of them are just, like, puppets for, and this sounds really weird, but, like, corporations and stuff. And that, and, like, lobbyists. Yes. Yikes. Lobbyists are big yikes, in my opinion. Oh my gosh, I have a story about one of my favorite slash least favorite politicians out there, <laughs> Roy Blunt. Oh boy, Roy Blunt was a senator from Missouri. Yeah. He was always up there with Claire McCaskill because it was one red and one blue. And then what Roy Blunt did, his wife was a lobbyist. Not only was his wife a lobbyist, oh boy, both his kids were lobbyists too. Hmm. His entire family was lobbyists while he was a senator. Hmm. Something about that, just mmm, ooh boy. That's just like on one side, I'm like that is the dream because you are cycling money into your own pocket, ideally. Right. Because you can have all three of these family members be like, "Hey, Dad, you want to go like get this really bougie lunch, and then you can vote to like test hair samples on animals or something." <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, no. Yeah, no. I um, think um, there needs to be, like, we have the checks and balances, obviously, like, the three branches. Um, uh, ideally, at least in my opinion, the government would be smaller and we'd have, like, less need for these checks and balances. Like, lobbyists wouldn't have as much power if the government wasn't as powerful, right? Like, but I think that if we have um, lobbyists, like, if we have things the way they are, we would have to have, like, some sort of, like, independent... Like, almost how we do, like, districting, which obviously doesn't work out perfectly, but you still have, like, gerrymandering and stuff. But we'd have to have, like, an independent committee be like, okay, is this, like, like an investigative committee or something? Is this lobbyists, like, working, conspiring with the senator? Like, is there, like, a weird relationship going on? And then you could move from there. But I think there needs to be more of an introspective aspect to the government than there currently is. I think everyone just kind of, like, passes the buck. Like, that's not my job. Someone else will do it. When someone needs to, like, people need to speak up when they see things. I think, but they also probably benefit from it at the same time, so they don't want to end the, the money chain or whatever. And so that's kind of a problem, too. But, um, I, that's why I think we should have more local power in the government. And, um, that's, because if you have, like, a, a mayor, like, mayors right now, unless you're in a big city, mayors don't really mean anything. But imagine if you, like, are in a small town, you, like, know everyone, you know what affects who, like, you can make changes based off of people's needs. I think that says something more than, like, someone on the national level who can make broad, like, you know, they have a different size brush. Yeah, like, no, it, it's exactly like that, because, yeah. like, there are all those people out there who are like, oh, we're gonna put coal mines out of business, but there are all those small towns that are entirely reliant on that coal mine for all of their jobs. Right, exactly. So, the mayor of that town would ideally have more power to be able to help transition us into have not us, them, into, like, yeah. having, like, better jobs that are different and, like, right. not completely destabilizing the economy by one sweeping thing across the state. No, yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, exactly, because you have, a, you know, state representatives, like, governors, that can do certain things, um, you know, they have, like, the, the power to, you know, write executive orders for their state and everything, and that's fine. I just think that, you know, we, 
the the argument I run into when I say that we should have more like independence for like states and local governments is that you run into like social issues. Um, you know, you have like uprising or I don't know. But I honestly think that if you do things right and you have uh, a well run smaller system, you know. Why? Why is uh, Tesla? Why do Tesla cars like need less repairs? Supposedly, it's because they have less moving parts. Why should the gov- the government should be smaller? They have less moving parts, less complicated. It's not going to break as often. Yeah, that's the logic I use. But... Yeah, sure. Yeah. Radical. All right. Well, we unfortunately talked about politics way longer than I meant to. <laughs> so let's quickly move into just a couple of you know fun, lighthearted stories to get us out of that. So. Uh, Richie, you're a you're a big video game collector, right? Yeah, so I you're, have. <laughs> you're like really you're really into these uh these retro video games. Tell, yeah. tell everybody all the consoles you've got. Okay, so I, tell, I tell all the people you had at your, all the consoles you had at your apartment that you share with Maddie before you went home last week. Okay, so the ones that I didn't bring this <laughs> Friday were. I had the Nintendo Entertainment System, Super Nintendo Entertainment System, N64, um, and uh, Genesis, PS4, um, and I'm missing one, I think, Atari, yeah. Okay, so So, Richie had six video game consoles in his one-bedroom apartment that he shares with his girlfriend. Yes. And he had games for all six video game consoles. In his one-bedroom apartment that he shares with his girlfriend. Yes. That is fully furnished with, like, furniture and stuff already, by the way. Yes. Just to give some context for the story. So, Richie, you want to you wanna tell us what happened this weekend? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> because six isn't enough, apparently. I brought uh, GameCube, uh, PlayStation 2. Uh, actually, those are the only two I brought. Okay. Um, I didn't bring in the PlayStation 3, um, because my dad is still using it. But, um... Yeah, no, and so I had probably 45, 50 games, uh, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 games. I only have four GameCube games, good ones, obviously. Um, and uh, I, I, I drove up to the apartment from where I live in Minnesota. Oh, and oh, oh no, oh no, I, I believe Richie is letting us try to gloss over another couple of things that he brought home with him. Okay. Now, R- Richie is a big video game aficionado, and he's also very big into coding. Now, as you can imagine, both of those are very time-consuming hobbies. Yes. Not leaving very much time for other things outside of, like, you know, your work, your friends, you know, your standard stuff that you gotta do to be a human person. Exactly. So, Richie, buddy, I want you to tell the audience, how many books did you bring home from, like, your home in Minnesota to... Your apartment. Uh, 112. 112 books were brought <laughs> from Minnesota to an apartment. Now, I have been friends with Richie for two and a half years now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know the number of times I've seen Richie pick up a book to read and actually open it and read it? Precisely zero. I have seen him say, I'm going to bring this book to read on the beach while we're at the beach today. And then he will bring his laptop with him as well, and he will be doing work at the beach instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this man, while he is a very well-learned person, brought home 112 books. And how many bookcases did you bring home to this fully furnished apartment? So, alright, the answer is two, but let me explain. So the first one, <laughs> the first one is probably a foot, not even a foot, probably eight inches wide. Probably that same amount deep, but that's kind of tall. Second one is like a normal bookshelf, right? Where it's probably like, I think it was 24 inches I measured it. It was two feet wide, uh, a foot deep, and then probably a little bit shorter than the tall one. But yes, those, those are the two pieces of furniture that I also brought So now to review, Richie, who already has six video game consoles and games for all of said video game consoles in this one bedroom apartment, brought home Two bookcases, 112 books, yes, and two more video game consoles with games. Yes. <laughs> oh, you forget so the now, now you, Oh, the vinyls. Um, a 
two things of cassettes, like full, like one was uh, one is actually two sided. <laughs> all cassettes. I actually ripped out the like folder for them so I could put more cassettes in there for both sides, and then I have uh, another thing of cassettes, and then uh, I think that is it. That's it for with the cassette player. But the cassette player is like really small, so. So, that's everything that Richie brought home to this apartment. To this very, very quaint one-bedroom apartment that is fully furnished with furniture already. Yep. So now you can go ahead and resume where you were. You you pull up. You, you park the car. Yeah, so, and then <laughs> I'm listening to the radio, actually, and um, I don't remember the song now, but it was like a long song. I think it was like a Pink Boy song or something, which I love the band, so I'm like, going to listen to the song. And instead of just like going on Spotify and like, you know, listening to the song later, I just decide to sit in my car and listen to the song. And then like. Hey, you got to finish it out. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. And so my girlfriend is like watching me through the window, apparently. I didn't know this. And uh, they service, had both been on separate vacations for over a week. She had not seen him. Yeah. She was very excited for him to come home. Do not make it sound like that. He is creepy. Oh, yeah. She was, like, watching me through the window for some reason. Bro. <laughs> she was excited <laughs> to see you. I, know, I, know. I, don't, I just, I didn't, because she knew I was there. I didn't know why she had to be like, well, I guess. Because she wanted you to come up. She yeah. wanted to say hi. Yeah. So I'm, I'm waiting, and then um, she tries to call me, but, like, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but some phones, like, aren't working right now or something. And um, she tried to text me, and that didn't go through either. But, so I go up, and like, hug and everything, and then I'm like, can you help me unload some stuff? And she's like, what do you mean? Like, is it a lot? And I'm like, I, I kind of, like, I was defensive. I said, um, I don't want you to say anything until we load, like, get everything up. Then you can, like, rip it in for it, or something like that. And she's like, okay. So we go down, and, like, obviously there's, like, the back is full. This is, like, an SUV, too. Like, where she's completely loaded out, like, maroon SUV. Yes. Is completely loaded with stuff. Yes, and there's still stuff in the front seat, um, but, yeah, you know, and so the two bookshelves, there's three boxes of books and then one box of games, and so we take two or three boxes up, and I'm like, I'm just, like, after that, uh, I'm like, I'll do the rest tomorrow. Say okay, but, um, it's just like, it's like too much stuff. And I'm like, well, I can put some in storage. And like, we, we start talking about how um, we should like rearrange the apartment for some of this stuff. And um, obviously, since it's like 800 square feet, there's not a lot of like, room, but we're able to like, you know, make some sacrifices. Obviously, I'm thankful that she's able to like, you know, move some stuff around and make room for it. But um, I ended up deciding to move uh, my desk, which was actually in the kitchen, because we had, we had, they had to be as far apart as possible, so we would both be on, like, video calls. Yeah. So that made sense, but now that we're both kind of, like, done with online class, hopefully, given, like, knock on wood, the Delta variant doesn't come back, um, they figured why not just have them in the same room, so I moved the desk in. I have that chest, so all the video games are in a chest, so I moved the chest into the kitchen, and then put, like, the bookshelf of, like, PlayStation 2 and 3 games next to the desk, and then have the... The other bookshelf in the kitchen. And well. you guys take off your shoes in the kitchen now, too, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, that, that was a big talking point last night. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how things are now. Um, I don't think you've actually been to the apartment yet. No, um, I so, but I, it, it's still, it's, some work still needs to be done in terms of boxes and need to go into storage. But you know, um, get that uh, feng, feng Shui back? Yeah. We need to get the, is the that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like the. I don't know the English translation of it, but it means like the vibe of the apartment. Like, yeah. The look. Um, I was trying to use the fancy word, but yeah, I was like, oh, I definitely got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, so no, that, that was like my return to Chicago story. All right. Well, we are a little bit over an hour, so we're going to get going. Thank you, Richie, for coming by and talking with us. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> do, you, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um... Do you, do you want to like plug your social media or like your professional email or anything? That way you can be like, hey, if you want to reach out to me, hire me. Sure, yeah. So um, if you are interested in what you heard on finance and like 
you know, you want to get to know me more, like, I, I just want to plug my LinkedIn, I guess. Um, Instagram is fine, too, but my LinkedIn is um, my name, which is Richard Stoker III, um, which would be one of the first ones I'm in Chicago, so that would be me. And I, I think I'm, you know, the background is the Yankee name, because that would be Loyola cool. graduate. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll know. Yeah. Well, you can find all my information on my LinkedIn page. You can also find a link to my personal portfolio through there as well. You can also email us at heyhowdyhopodcast at gmail.com. Just to close out the show, I'd like to leave you all with some recommended reading for the week. This week, I went to Barnes & Noble and picked up Everybody Has a Podcast Except You, a how-to guide from the first family of podcasting. It's by Justin, Travis, and Griffin McElroy. They're the creators of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and The Adventure Zone, two of my personal favorite podcasts. It's a very enjoyable read. You know, I personally love their style. They're very funny. I think it's full of great information, and I think everybody should probably be getting into this because this is probably the future of public relations going forward. We will be discussing that more, actually, when we have our first PR guest on later this month of August. So, yeah. Thank you, and have a great day. Bye-bye.